Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen Murphy and Ken all here. Hi, fellas. Hi, Hello oh, there. Sorry to interrupt you, Ken. What are you? What are you doing there? Nothing. Why? Looks like you're trying to identify Premier League footballers. Oh, I, uh, oh, and how embarrassing! Yes, I was uh, doing that. I was doing Eurosports eight-bit um, uh, football identification. Champions League quiz. It's just I was worried we weren't going to get your head tuned into this. You seemed engrossed in that. Well, I oh, was. No, he finished it eventually. On he finished it eventually. How, how does he, it work? he hit a roadblock and then and then magically the roadblock disappeared. Uh, Ken, would you like to tell your colleague on a little bit more about how that happened? Well, look, uh, Kieran, I, I I asked Kieran. I wasn't too proud to to ask him to run his eye over some of the ones that I'd missed. So what? What do you mean some of the ones? How does this work? Well, you've just got like a, a footballer done up in sort of eight bit computer graphics. Um, so he's he's wearing a shirt and he's a footballer who's played in the Champions League for for a club, <sighs> and he's wearing the shirt of that club. And uh, some of them are pretty easy to spot. I mean, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is quite easy in his PSG gear. Mil- Milan's one was Perlo, which was actually quite difficult because they've had a lot of guys. This is before he had his beard. They have had a lot of guys with that exact same hair. So I was kind of going through Maldini, Nesta, you know, Colazze, Albertini. of this world. You know, and Coutinho not have that? Coutinho had a little bit, although he had a beard as well. This guy was beardless. So eventually, oh, hang on, yeah, obviously here it is. Um, Kieran was able to help me with uh, Villarreal and Riquelme, which missed Come on. finally. Yeah, that's pretty good. And also Mendieta and Valencia, which I had, I was just looking at. It, I had a total metal block. I was like, "That's Luka Modric. Why is it not taking Tottenham as an answer?" <laughs> uh, but it was Valencia and um, David Luiz Benfica. I mean, yeah. you'd think David Luiz Benfica would be pretty easy to get, but I was hey, like, listen, Colchini, I'm, I'm did Colchini play in the Champions League?" So uh, yeah, the last ones to get on, the last ones that I got were Junior Pernambucano of Lyon, a club whose very existence I had forgotten, <laughs> and uh, uh, a, one who really didn't look a lot like the young Andrei Shevchenko, but that was the shirt of Dynamo Kiev, and eventually, by process of elimination, I worked it out. Congratulations to the two of you, good team effort there. This is the Rugby World Cup preview show with Jerry Thornley and Dennis Hickey, and 
Dougie Howlett is in the Irish Times building doing some interviews as we record here, so we're going to get a few minutes with him, apparently. Impress me with some Doug Howlett stats, Murph. Oh, well, I mean, it's not bad. 49 tries and 62 internationals. It's pretty good. It's not bad at all, I wouldn't have thought. Um, he was head prefect uh, <laughs> <laughs> in Auckland, uh, Auckland Grammar School. School. I mean, it's a bloody, it's a bloody famous school. Oh, and I don't think mm-hmm. I need to uh, tell you that. No. He, uh, his first cousin is uh, Lily Latu. And um, what about his speed? Something else. Oh, yes, that was it. That was it. What uh, what speed do you think he I ran? I remember hearing this stat before, that, uh, that he was the school's champion in New Zealand at uh, the well, under, under 20. Under 20, 100 metres. What, so what time did he run the 100 1998. Metres? I mean, I don't know if you want to take into account sort of advances in sprinting time since 1998, but what time do you think is Dougie Hallett running? Uh, if it's going to impress us, I'd say it's got to be under 11 seconds. 10.94 seconds. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. It's quick. While he was probably mostly concentrating on his rugby at that yeah. stage. Yeah, I would say that he, sprinted he probably ran that with, you know, a rugby ball and a few dummies thrown in. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive. That's all going to be on today. Breach Corkery is going to talk to us about Cork's win in the All-Ireland Camogie final yesterday. Her 15 All-Ireland senior medal between <sighs> Camogie. Speaking of stats, 15 All-Irelands between Camogie and football is pretty good. Another week, another heartbreaking <laughs> goal by defeat in the All-Ireland final. Uh, we've had a few too many of these. Not dissimilar. Well, sorry, it was dissimilar to the uh, All-Ireland Hurling final in that, in this case, Cork were in control in the first mm. half. Uh, rem- but Galway made their comeback and then Breach Corkery broke them with the goal. They missed a couple of chances they really should have taken when it was still in the melting pot. I think Breach Corkery's goal made it a four-point game. They ended up winning by seven or something like that. You just knew straight away. You don't have to be watching Camogie matches every day of the week to know mm. that this was the killer score, uh, which was which was knocked in by yeah. Breach Corkery. Just played, just as a defender. Yeah, and they just played with more composure throughout the game. Yeah. And uh, when you take into account the amount of people that they've actually lost from last year's team, uh, the, that composure is similar maybe in some ways to the Kilkenny Hurling team. I know we keep it's comparing just, them, but that is something yeah. I want to talk about because there was a little bit of the, you know, screw you critics uh, to the post-match commentary as well, that apparently the critics have been writing Cork off in the same way that the Kilkenny Hurlers felt they were being written off. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if these teams actually are being written off as much as they think they are, but uh, we'll find out a little bit more about that with Breach Corkery in a little while. Uh, if you want to hear more about the Premier League weekend, you can check out our latest football podcast right after this. Just listen through this one and then follow on through. But for now, Ken, you're going to tell me if Anthony Martial is worth the money. Based on what you've seen so far from Anthony Martial banging that goal. Uh, I've got to say, it's looking good. <laughs> um, is he worth the money? I mean, would he be worth the money to, uh, let me think, Bournemouth? Maybe it would represent too many eggs in one basket. <laughs> but uh, for Manchester United... Where money appears to be no object. Then, you know... By definition, was, it's of course he's worth it. If, you can, if, you, if instead of this large quantity of money, you can have a player who can score uh, exciting goals in the Premier League, then... It seems to me as though you might as well trade the money for the player. Um, I mean, we'll wait and see how, how he goes. I mean, he, he was having the instructions explained to him by Morgan Schneider, then, if you saw, um, before he came on, because he obviously didn't speak English or Dutch, I guess. And Schneider was there translating, and Marshall was clearly ignoring both 
the instructions and Schneiderlin's translation. God, I've got a really good excuse if I follow none of these orders. That's basically what he's thinking there. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically going to have to listen to any instructions for the next 18 I can, months. I can just Minimum. blame this on Morgan Schneiderlin. Like, worst case scenario, I'm blaming this on Schneiderlin. But if he, if he can do what he did, I mean, the, the composure, really, in just that instant when he um, got through, realised he had a chance and then took the chance so coolly, that's a really difficult thing to do. Not a lot of players can do that. And if he can already do that, there's a lot of other simpler things uh, which he can learn. So I guess uh, it's looking good. As it is the week of the Rugby World Cup, it's all starting on Friday. We're going to do a very special Irish Times second captain's charity auction today and all week. This is to raise money for the Medicine Sans Frontier refugee appeal. Uh, we've got two hampers to give away and the two highest auction bids will receive the following. This was in the hampers. An Irish Rugby World Cup jersey signed by the whole World Cup winning squad. I like the presentation of this in a hamper. Do you also I mean, like? Not, we're not going to have jams or anything. I hope but didn't we just, just we've taken out all of the jams chutneys. and and chutneys and put in sporting awesome. Yes, and I hope you didn't it didn't float by you there that I mentioned the World Cup winning Ireland squad. No, there, no, there, no, yeah. no, no, okay, no. Cool. We, we got there. We got there. Uh, they're about to win it. And two return Aer Lingus flights to London at a time you're choosing. This with thanks to Aer Lingus, who are the official airline sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We'll also throw in five VIP tickets to our next live recording of the podcast in the Sugar Club in October. Come on, what, what does a VIP ticket entitle you to that a normal ticket doesn't? Find out. Ooh, yeah. Bid some big money on this charity auction for a great cause and find out. Our green second captain's much sought after green second captain's Euro 88 jersey, one of our second captain's limited edition black hoodies and that very sacred second captain's mug. To bid, all you have to do is tweet us at second captain's with the hashtag refugee appeal and the amount you'd like to bid. So that's at second captains with the hashtag refugee appeal and the amount. Or you can email us editor at secondcaptains.com uh, with refugee appeal in the subject line. We're going to start the bids at a thousand euro because it's a really, really good cause. And of course, we are going to win the World Cup, as I mentioned there. So quickly, once more, signed Ruby World, World Cup jersey, two return flights to London with Aer Lingus, five VIP tickets to the next Irish Times Sugar Club show with Rabo direct in October. And second captains Euro 88 jersey, black hoodie, mug. It's amazing stuff. Tweet us at second captains or email us editor at secondcaptains.com. And every last cent goes to the Medicine Sans Frontier Refugee Appeal. Now, World Cup starts this Friday. Ireland's first game is against Canada on Saturday. We're going to hear a lot of nuances. We're going to get a lot of great thoughts, I'm sure, from Dennis Hickey, from Jerry Thorny very shortly, and also from Doug Head a little bit later on. But Simon, tell me first of all, it all boils down to one question. Are we going to beat France? Well, they haven't beaten us since 2011. They're a mid-table Six Nations side. We've won two in a row. They've the worst coach. We've the best coach. Uh, we they have a flaky out half. We have the first or second best out half Go on. in the world, and which hasn't really been discussed. It's effectively a home game for us. It's in Cardiff. Amazing memories for Ireland in terms of Grand Slams. Uh, Munster and Leinster have won uh, Heineken Cups there, and we're going to have probably eighty ninety percent of support. So yes, this, the the facts show that we will be friends. <laughs> Uh, and we're, so we're just going to keep history out of this one okay no, that's, that's good Sam I like it alright Dennis Hickey's going to talk to us in a second Jerry Thornley has popped into the studio Jerry are you excited? excited um, <laughs> <laughs> not about this coming into us necessarily well, just about the I'm far more excited about coming in here yeah. than I'm going, going to England Wales for seven weeks let it break um, yeah oh yeah really excited yeah, yeah I am looking forward to it yeah it should be interesting it should be good, be good when the matches get going this is a longer build up than the US presidential elections it does seem to be uh, going on quite a long yeah, time doesn't it, it? I don't know right. I suppose this is just the way, way things work up but just where Ireland are at at the moment um are we about the only country that would be going into a tournament? I don't mean the players, I'm talking about uh, as a country, 
with a sense of sort of trepidation, even though we have won the last two Six Nations based on previous World Cups and maybe based on a couple of dodgy warm-up games. I don't know, maybe I'm reading it wrong here, but it seems like everyone's starting to get a little bit cold feet a little bit. Yeah, I think that it's been salutary wake-up calls the last three performances even, not just the last two results. And there's a there's a concern because you just don't see an Irish team certainly defend like this one has been doing. Under Les Kiss's watch and Joe Schmidt's watch, 80 missed tackles in four games. I mean, this is a team that conceded only three tries and win the Six Nations last year. They conceded that in the opening game against the Wales B-C side. And they've been porous pretty much ever since, probably with the exception of the Wales game at home when there wasn't many line breaks had by either team. And, um, yeah, that's a worry, as is the lack of real potency, I suppose. And what, There's a real strong sense, though, that Ireland haven't shown their hand. You'd wonder, is there a little bit of danger keeping your powder too dry until the tournament comes around? I think what it has done is, because of the way the fixtures have fallen, almost ideally, from an Irish point of view, you would think, in terms of the pool, the way it's panned out anyway, whatever, however that might leave Ireland when it comes to knockout stage is a different matter, because conceivably, to win the World Cup, Ireland would then have to win against four very good, strong frontline teams in consecutive weekends. So therefore, the French game, you'd imagine, is key because even if Ireland were to pull off a miracle against the All Blacks, then they'd have to pitch up against South Africa a week later. So, you know, it's a tough... And then, you, then, you're, then you're looking at a final, maybe against England or Australia or Wales, whomever. But that would be a big ask for this Irish team, you think, for any Irish team throughout history to pr- produce four big performances like that in a row. But in terms of the pool stages... I think the Canada game and the remaining game have now assumed a greater importance than might otherwise have been the case. You know, is this 07 or 011 revisited? I don't get a sense that it's 07, um, that they're, you know, the players are being too flogged and that there's a real confidence issue going into this. I think they do have those two Six Nations titles back-to-back to fall back on, but they do need to beat Canada and Romania fairly handsomely and convincingly to carry some real momentum then into the Italian game and the French game, ideally using all their squads in the first two matches you would not want to repeat of 2007, sorry for reminding Dennis of this, but obviously the Namibian game, and specifically the Georgia game, left Ireland in, in really bad state to face both France and Argentina, and that's what came to pass. So I think momentum now is, has assumed a greater importance in these pool games. Well, Dennis, that's why I'd fear a little bit all this talk that we're hearing from the camp that they are trying to peak for the later pool games. I, I know that's, ideally that is what you want to do. It doesn't really matter how much you beat the weaker teams by, but do you agree with Jerry that these games are now very important? Given that we haven't seen a really good performance for a long time from Ireland, we need to see something in these opening two games? Yeah, the key, I think, is, as Jerry rightly said, is momentum. Um, let's say compare 2003 and 2007. 2003 opened with Romania, and then we played um, Namibia uh, before going to have to play um, Argentina and then Australia. So um, I think you know we were favourites, strong favourites to beat both Romania and, and Namibia back then. And more importantly, you know we, we took our we took the performance we put in on our warm up matches into those games, and we improved every game. Mix the team around a bit. Uh, guys got runs, and um, we kind of just built our confidence. Uh, when you, uh, you know, two thousand and seven, the exact opposite. We didn't play well into, in the opening match against Namibia. Played very poorly, and we're a little bit undercooked from our preparation. And then all of a sudden, then he had to play everyone again. He decided to play everyone again. Immediately, half the squad knew there was a good chance they weren't going to get a game, um, or certainly a big chunk of people weren't going to get a run. Um, and then we were kind of chasing the tournament for that. So it's all actually about um, momentum. It's about improving on the performances that Ireland have put in so far in the warm-up games. And there's been elements of that that have been maybe a bit deficient and 
whether Ireland are holding things back or not, uh, I think anyone would recognise within the Irish setup that there are areas for improvement, and that's understandable. Some guys have played one match after those three games, some guys have played two matches, very few played three. So that's only two or three matches in the entire season so far. So come the Italy game, there'll be four, you know, maybe five games under the belt, four games under the belt, depending who you are. So you'd expect that improvement to, to being gradual on the trajectory to be going in one direction, which is up. Dennis, what about uh, this idea that Irish people have in their heads that a World Cup semi-final is this far-off, unimaginable thing and this huge achievement? But if you think about it this year, it will involve us beating Italy, France and Argentina, which is about, it's, it's like coming second or third in a Six Nations and we've won the last two Six Nations. Is it that difficult a thing for us to make a semi-final? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that analogy, Simon, because I, 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 on the face of the fixtures might say that, you know, beating Argentina, beating France. But the the World Cup is not the Six Nations. It's it's very much knockout rugby. Not that you don't have another game, but as you get to the end, you know, if Ireland, the, the consequences of losing the games are are effectively not, uh, can be can be um, a knockout. Um, I also think that this is the reason people have that expectation semi final is that we've never been to a semi final. We've been to lots of World Cups and never got to a semi final. So I think it is a very hard thing to to achieve. Getting out of the group. Hasn't you know has has at times even been difficult for Ireland for one reason or the other. Getting to getting out of quarterfinal so far has eluded Ireland for a number of different reasons. But you know I think the idea of of it's just we have got to beat France and then we have got to beat either Argentina or the All Blacks or or you know it, winning one of the one or both of those games will will take us potentially to the semi final. You know I just think that that um, misses the point of the the pressure of that last game, the pressure of having to beat France. Uh, in that knockout work, okay, that would be a huge game. I mean, probably one of the biggest games Ireland have ever played. Um, by the time that game comes around, because the tournament will have progressed so far, and everyone will know the consequences, and and um, it'll just be a, a really, really huge game. Um, and then, you know, if Ireland were were not to beat France, the pressure then on the Argentina match uh, is going to be huge, and then you're going to have all the pressure of the the, the, the past World Cups. You're going to have 2007, 2003. You're going to have the fact that Argentina are not, um, you know, they're a very good tournament side. They've proven that against us and against other teams. They've come into this tournament completely under the radar, despite the fact they've beaten South Africa in South Africa, something Ireland have never done. Um, and I just think, I, I just think to to um, say it's the equivalent of, of winning the Six Nations or playing the Six Nations is, I, I just, I think... I just don't think you can compare the two. I think winning a Six Nations is incredibly difficult, um, but getting to World Cup semi-final I think is more difficult again. I'd be interested to hear your take, Dennis, on that historical trend of Ireland failing at World Cups because we've spoken a lot on this show in the last few weeks about Mayo and the historical baggage, uh, Galway hurling. And in rugby, uh, it's Ireland in World Cups. I mean, New Zealand are talked about as the chokers, but actually it's Ireland if you think about it. Is, the, is that something that builds it if you do come into that final game against France in poor form that those old World Cups count in some way towards these current players? Well, I would say if you asked any player involved in the current squad or the coach, they'd say it's not a factor at all. And I think they'd be saying that with, with a, a high degree of honesty because I don't think they would consider that a factor. I just think those sort of things become a factor the week of the game or during the game or just before the game, you know, you, 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 you become way down with the, the, that, that sort of history 
once that game you know appears on the horizon and it's at the moment you know we're 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 rightfully approaching the tournament in hope we've got a lot of optimism we've got a great team that has performed well under pressure and that has delivered so we've every reason to be confident or to be uh, you know to be hopeful without being over the top uh, in our expectations um but the, these you know this kind of historical pressure the pressure of the fixture the pressure of the lack of uh, progress so far in the world cup will be a factor uh, as the tournament builds because that's the pressure of the tournament and you can be sure other teams like even they, they will make it an issue you know you can be sure if ireland are playing argentina argentina will be making it an issue you can be sure the ireland france again the french the french coaches will be pointing to the fact that they've been they've never lost ireland in a world cup and that ireland are under huge pressure and etc 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 that's that's just going to happen so you know, I, I understand that's not a it's not a talking point at the moment, and I think quite honestly, a lot of the pay, players would say it's not a factor. But it doesn't mean it won't be a factor when that game turn, when those games come around. Yeah, it's a really interesting insight, uh, Jerry. I think into the difference in World Cup matches, and Dennis has outlined one or two of the reasons why it it, it is just a different tournament, different mindset for players. But surely, this current Irish team, aside from being Six Nations champions play the sort of game and manage the game in a way that should be quite conducive to cup rugby and quarterfinals. It's not like Scotland aside last season, we go out and hammer teams that often, but we do play very clever rugby, very smart rugby and, and keep our composure under pressure, which I would have thought was key to winning these these pool games and these quarterfinals, which could be one score games. Even the way they started so abysmally away to England, uh, double whammy early on, and then rolled up their sleeves and forced the way back into the game. It was reminiscent of the way they forced the way back into the game away, away to Wales. They are a team that very much knits together in a crisis and believes in each other. And they do have that body of work over the last two years, which no Irish team going into a World Cup has ever had before. I also believe that enough of them have been around for four years ago that for that to have been a difference. Uh, I wonder, sometimes, I'm not too sure, but then point in the sense that if Ireland had beaten Australia in that 1991 World Cup quarter-final, you know, there would have been a great victory and an early semi-final in Ireland's history in the World Cup. And history might thereafter have panned out differently because there was that sense of achievement in the past. I do think there's a little bit of baggage from World Cup past failures as such for, for Ireland. I mean, they're the only one of the leading nations that's never made a quarter, or made a semi-final. Yeah. Everybody else has, you know. Wales, even Scotland, as well as England and France, obviously made six semi-finals, which is six more than Ireland have ever made. And that's why when that game comes around, it'll be a one-score game almost certainly and I wouldn't be surprised if it goes down to the 80th minute of the final game before Ireland's fate is secured not least because Nigel Owens is the referee but I do think from four years ago beating Australia and winning a pool first victory over Southern Hemisphere side in the Southern Hemisphere since 1979 is a substantive achievement which will give them encouragement and even Paul O'Connell remember saying at the time look Maybe it's not the absolute end of the world that, despite the disappointment of the defeat to Wales in the quarterfinal, that they can draw on the experience of what they achieved in Eden Park that night, particularly against Australia, and what they achieved in the group stages to believe that they can win a group again. And of course, the prize for winning a group this time would definitely, surely, give them their best shot yet of making a semi final. Dennis, in terms of managing the tournament, Shane Horgan made a point at the end of his Sunday Times column. He says, knowing all the bases that Schmidt will want covered, knowing the amount of detail it'll bring to the team's pre- preparation, I just wonder if the environment will be oppressive for the player for the players at times. Now, that's in the context of a glowing tribute towards Schmidt in, in most of that article, but it's an interesting point. Would you be, a li- would you be at all concerned about that? Like the, the pressure of it being... Did, in, just that Schmidt demands so much mentally from the players that uh, over the course of a long tournament like that, and probably allied to the couple of months build-up as well, the whole thing can just be, can, can feel a little bit oppressive for the players. Well, you know, I think Shane probably has a, a greater insight to what that what that 
will entail because he's obviously worked under Joe Schmidt and I haven't. Um, but I think, you know, speaking maybe more generally, I think being in camp for World Cups is always, um, you know, it's, it's, I've, had the, I've had the great and, and, the, and, the, and the terrible uh, in experiences. And, uh, you know, Australia was fantastic. France in 2007 was terrible. So, uh, you know, managing that, I think is you know managing that has will always remain a, a focus of the IRFU uh, and the Irish teams because that was such a, that was a factor in 2007. I think that's in all the reports and the reviews, etc. So, I think Ireland will be will be cognizant of that, and I think um, you know every effort will be made to make sure that they don't get uh, too suffocated or too oppressive. I'm not. I know they're staying a fair bit outside. I think they're staying near Birmingham um, in the first while, and Jerry probably be feeling the oppression of being uh, located <laughs> towards the Irish camp more than the Irish players. But um, yeah, I, I getting that right is, is um, I wouldn't underestimate it because you do need to be able to get away from the tournament on one hand, but also get away from each other at times as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate balance, you know, and you know, it's, it's one thing to be, you know, stuck on a beach in Australia, looking out in the sun every day, and another thing to be in a, you know, in, in some country estate, um, for six weeks straight in in in, in, in rural England, both by sound great to to for tourists, but when you're in a rugby camp, it can be slightly different. Jerry, we've spoken to Matt Williams a few times. Um, you were in the studio with us when he told us that the Southern Hemisphere pundits and maybe the Southern Hemisphere coaches don't rate Schmidt as highly as we do. This is in the wake of was in the middle of the second Six Nations that Ireland were on their way to winning. Um, I guess the word must be out now that he's fairly brilliant. Um, and is that then a negative for Ireland if teams are cutting on to the formula that this new formula that he's taken at international level as opposed to what he did at club level? Um, there certainly were signs in that England game that they read Ireland's kicking game quite superbly and they were filling the channels. They could see the kicks coming and Ireland didn't get as much joy. And when Ireland don't get as much joy out of their aerial stuff, they are a bit diluted as a result of that. There was a lot of the wraparounds from Johnny Sexton. It's It's... Superbly executed by him, better than any other out half around because the pace he does it at. But it's there wasn't a lot else, and yeah, there would be a danger, of course, that teams are going to read Ireland, as would be the case with a lot of other teams. There isn't much of an offloading game. It does depend on a very high rate of recycling at ruck time and good, quick recycling. And if you slow that down, flood the channels in the air, don't let them retrieve the ball and read that wrap around, you wonder what else Ireland can hurt them with. And this is why you'd hope as well that they've kept their powder dry and they've a few more strike moves up their sleeve. I think that's also why Keane Healy's well-being is so imperative. And you add in Sean O'Brien, his well-being, maybe Ian Henderson starting. You give that dynamic to the team and Sean Cronin coming off the bench. Aren't going to need all their ball carriers operating well to get over the game line as much as humanly possible. Against a lot of big, bigger physical sides that are going to push up hard in defence like England did, like Wales did in the warm-up games. And like France have been doing in their warm-up games. France haven't brought an awful lot to the table in an attacking sense themselves. But they're uber-physical. They're fitter than any French team that's ever gone to World Cup before. For once, they seem quite together. And they do have a very well-organised, fast-up defence. So the kind of team that might struggle, might you know, make things difficult for Ireland as well. So, yeah, you'd like more to come from Ireland. I do think, though, that there's a lot more to come from this team. I just have that faith in them that, you know, that Johnny Sexton will come good and John Conor Murray will become good. And there, will be, there is more to their game than we've seen so far. 
And if Joe Schmidt's reputation is not as good as it should be in the Southern Hemisphere, I think that more is more a reflection of the Southern Hemisphere and the bubble they operate in than anything else. Certainly, if he has a very good World Cup, then one imagines his reputation will skyrocket. You mentioned France there, Jerry, mm-hmm. and we had Bernard Jackman on a couple of weeks ago. He was, was making the point, he said this on TV as well, that the French are feeling pretty good about things and mm. they weren't great against Scotland. But uh, the, even in, well, certainly in comparison to the last World Cup, they think that this is uh, that this is there for them, really. And despite Ireland beating them the last few years, we're not a team that's going to scare them necessarily. What's your assessment of where France are? I think you can almost disregard the last four years yeah. and their Six Nations form. I wonder, do they really care about the Six Nations anymore? And besides really? which, the clubs take, make such a demand and drain on their players up to the tournament and even during it that it's almost impossible for them. I mean, it's remarkable to think that under Philippe Saint-André and their four campaigns under his watch, they've never finished in the top half of the table once. They've been in the bottom three every time. Amazing he's still in the job. Yeah, and, and what's more, the first four-year cycle that they've never beaten Ireland. That being said, two were draws and two were one-score wins. And you remember how Ireland were cleaning on in Paris two years ago. They, um, according to Ron O'Gara, their high-altitude training has meant that after seven weeks... Um, following on from pre-season, they should all be capable of running one kilometre further than they were after week one. That's going to make them very anaerobically fit as well as strong. And some players have lost weight, like Louis Picamos. Others have bulked up. John Lacey was telling me he was in the dressing room before the France-England game and he couldn't believe the size of some of the French players, how much they've bulked up. They will be super fit, like I've said before. Um, they always perform better in World Cups generally. Like I said, three, three semi-finals and three finals, which is six better World Cups than Ireland have ever had. They've met the countries have met three times in the World Cup, and France have won handsomely on all three occasions. It hasn't even been close. They've won handsomely. They will probably go into that last game with five wins in a row under their belt, so they'll have momentum. And it stands to reason that if Ireland have got a great draw, then France have a great draw. Because they're going to look at it and think, right, we beat Italy and we beat Ireland, and we get Argentina in the quarterfinals, we're in the semi-finals. And yet France are eighteen to one and Ireland are nine to one. And like I said before, you can be pretty sure, particularly with Nigel Owens in charge, that that last group game in Cardiff will be a winner-takes-all in effect. No matter how the bonus points pans out, presumably they both beat Italy and win the other two games. No matter who gets more bonus points than the other, one would have the slight advantage of knowing that a draw would help them top the group. But otherwise, it's going to be the winner wins the pool and almost certainly gets Argentina. Um, and then that'll probably go down to the 80th minute because Nigel Owens is in charge and any time Ireland do beat France it's invariably by a score anyway that being said I think Ireland can win I think that Joe Schmidt like you said earlier they will tailor specific game plans for each of their opponents and they'll be well prepped for that France game and I think they've just got a key advantage at 9 and 10 particularly 10 I'd, rather, I'd still rather Johnny Sexton over Freddie Mishlak any day of the week We wouldn't advocate anyone taking that 18-1 to 1 bet either because it'd be an unpatriotic thread through that assuming that <laughs> France might beat Ireland to, to set up an easy quarter-final Jerry, just uh, sorry Dennis, I should say on a general point uh, it seems like at the World Cup in particular we sometimes new trends emerge or maybe the trends that have been happening over the couple of years previously are rubber-stamped uh, Gordon Darcy was talking about this in his Irish Times column at 2007 was the up and under like literally Argentina mastered the up and under through Hernandez and the, and the kick chase uh, and a bit of discipline and got them a hell of a long way in the tournament 2011 was, a lot, was more of a smother defence any ideas as to the type of tournament we have are you expecting an amazing uh, sort of tournament of free-flowing rugby or quite the opposite well I'd like to get a, a tournament of free-flowing rugby you know 2007 as Gordon pointed out it was about up and unders because the rules were different obviously at the time you, you know the defences weren't back as far as they are now and um, you know lots of play, lots of teams just held off competing in the rug just let you have the, have the ball fan out across the pitch and teams just had to kick the ball up in the air because there was really nothing else to do with it 
and um, so the change of rules will make a difference on that. You know, uh, you know, it, it, the 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 build up would point to the fact that if you look at the sides, it's going to be big power men smashing over the gain line. Um, you know, match against Wales, you could see you know they're they're shorn of two or three key ball carriers. It's very difficult to get go forward. And then you have to rely on your kicking game. It could be it could be a tournament of tactical kicking. Um, you know, it could be. You know, Ireland have made the the, the early running on that, but I think um, a lot of teams uh, have been you know have have probably realised that there's a lot to be gained from good accurate ta- tactical kicking. Certainly, some of the Six Nations sides will have picked that up from playing against Ireland because it's very hard to defend against consistently over the eighty minutes. You know, so England's tactical kicking game was pretty good against Ireland a couple of weeks ago. So maybe it'll be a tournament for for tactical kicking rather than aimless up and under kicking. Um, but you know it would be great if it was if it was um, more attacking rugby. And I think you know if you see the 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 level of skills throughout the fifteen on on every team. You know most of the teams backs and forwards are able to play the ball out the back now. Uh, forwards is very comfortable being a first or second receiver and playing the ball back to a you know a back uh, who's able to throw it wide. So. Hopefully it'll be a tournament where we'll we'll see more width and we'll see more tries. Um, Six Nations last year had a lot of good tries, um, and the championship has been you know there's been a lot of free, free flowing rugby in it. So I hope that 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 you know the development of the game has increased the tries, the bonus points for tries, etc. So uh, I'm hoping that will take you know incentivize teams to 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 make this the best. Uh, tournament from a rugby perspective that we've seen, um, but you know the pressure of the of the of the tournament. There, it, there will be some cagey games, there's no doubt about it. But um, I'm hoping it'll be a tournament for for uh, for tries and for and for rugby and not just defence and uh, kicking them in the air. Dennis, what about this idea that France are, are bigger and more powerful than ever? Is there a point? Do you think, in your own mind, at which this has to plateau? That size there's only so far you can go and you start to lose in mobility in other areas i mean we we kind of fear the size of the french maybe not and their tactics or other aspects of their game but is there a limit to it well i think ireland have shown i think ireland have shown an an ability to cope with sides that are physically stronger with them you know i remember watching south africa new zealand last year in the championship not the championship gone by prior to south africa coming up here in november last year and i was watching the game and all going I just don't know how Ireland can cope with guys this size. You know, they blew this South Africa blew New Zealand away physically in in, in Alice Park in, in in the match I watched, and I said, you know, Ireland coming up against them in November, I just didn't couldn't see how they could cope. But yet they were able to cope, and they were able to get on top of them up front and cope with the power and and actually win the game. So you know, maybe we are pretty close to it. You know, teams are fitter and faster, and Wales did a huge amount. South Africa it would be big and strong. New Zealand, and you know, for a lot of be made about France's preparation, and uh, you know, England look very fit, but but so do Ireland. I think Ireland are able to cope um, in that regard, and and maybe we have reached a plateau. Um, you know, the, the the I think the I think the differentiating factor is not just power uh, and size; it's power, and speed, um, and. Uh, the ability to ball play because I think big forwards who can take the ball to the line and then give passes or give passes out the back stuck in defenders um, we're seeing the emergence of that a lot of big ball carrying forwards are, are more and more comfortable doing that so I think size physical size is, is is important and power people talk about power but I actually think I think agility and that acceleration and this this key ability of forwards now to ball play you know in a, in a way that five years ago let alone 10 years ago, 
you just wouldn't have seen possible. You wouldn't have seen on training pitches. Now guys are so much more comfortable. And I think, you know, the World Cup will, will hopefully showcase that. And I think that'll be the big differentiating factor. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of our forwards are going to be offloading it, unfortunately, given uh, Joe Schmidt's plan. But if it gets us there, it's all good. Jerry, just before we go, for the two, actually, Jerry, first of all, predictions, how far will Ireland go and who's going to win the World Cup? If it's the same answer, that's that's all good. Um, it would be extraordinary to forecast an Irish World Cup win with any confidence based on what they've achieved in the past and I'm not sure they have quite the cutting edge of other leading sides to go all the way and win the tournament but I would be hopeful they'll be there until the last weekend by reaching the semi-finals at least anything better than that would be a bonus um, as the winner I don't remember ever a World Cup where you can genuinely um, cite the case of seven countries maybe as potential winners maybe even eight if you include Argentina Argentina have to have improved an awful lot in the last three years as it would Ireland or any other team if you play New Zealand South Africa and Australia home and away each year you just have to get better and they have and unearthed a crop another crop of fantastic young back rowers and they'll be as, as Dennis said they're a good tournament team that always pulls together some of the parts is always greater than, than the individual parts when they come in together and that represent the Los Pumas so they're all dangerous I think the best team in it are the ones that have never won outside New Zealand, namely the All Blacks, and could well be caught on the hop in the quarter-final again if they run into France or Ireland and Cardiff. I'd say France and Cardiff, the exact same as eight years ago, would spook the hell out of them. And you can, we've seen they can be very spooked. And they're not a, a knockout team. They don't play an awful lot of knockout rugby in New Zealand. They play a lot of Super 15 rugby and rugby championship rugby, but not much in the way of knockout games. But they have world-class players in every department, and you're talking about forwards who can conduct the basics. You look at that English try that Tom Young's butchered with the forward pass to Johnny May, an all-black forward just wouldn't make that forward pass. He'd, he'd put it back across his body and put the winner in from one to eight because they have those skills. They're world-class in every department. Brody Reslek and Kieran Reid and so forth are at their best. They've got, I think, the best nine and ten in the world in Aaron Smith and Dan Carter if they're playing well. And then they've got this array of game-breakers and match winners that if they're struggling, a man, Nonu, suddenly Bill Williams... Uh, Ben Smith or even Bowden Barrett off the bench gives them more cover than they had it out half four years ago so the one team you can make the most cases for and have the least negatives are still the All Blacks Dennis both those questions Ireland and tournament winners yeah I think um, tournament winner you know I think the team I I suspect might surprise people um, because they've had a good run in they're well coached they have probably they're more disciplined and more together than they've been in a while, and they've beaten the All Blacks, and, and you know they're, they're a fantastic tournament team. They won two tournaments themselves. It's Australia. Um, I think they're probably as well set for this World Cup as they have been since um, probably since '91. Um, uh, and I just think they're they're maybe a little bit under the radar, uh, and I think their off field issues and their discipline issues, and, and cri- critically their their forward um, the forward power where they've kind of come up come a crop or, or being seen as a target I think Michael Checo will have that resolve for their big games when they need to and I think they're you know a lot of very smart and experienced players so I think they're my outside kind of bet I don't I think they're they're probably third favorites for a lot of people or, or, or you know after England maybe in New Zealand but I, I think they could actually end up going to win the tournament okay and Ireland um, and I think Ireland's I think Ireland's run um you know I, I do see Ireland capable of getting to a semi-final because um, uh, I do see Ireland capable of beating France I just, it's just not this foregone conclusion that people seem to think it is but I think Ireland can still beat France and if they can beat France they can get to a semi-final Brilliant Talking is almost over at this stage Lads we appreciate it Really entertaining stuff Dennis, Jerry, thanks a million Cheers Cheers, bye bye
sent off. He's going to be out of the car. A gasp. All right, brilliant stuff from both Dennis and Jerry there. We will have the two boys along with Shane Horgan. I'm sure we get Matt Williams in. Matt Williams is in Dublin, in town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get him. He's working on TV3's coverage. So we'll have a load of um, load of great names during the course of the next couple of months. I enjoy Dennis's very uh, almost... Just the way he built up the suspense there before was naming Australia. He was it dropping was. cinematic. He was dropping hints. Uh, who's, who can he be talking about? Well organised. New coach. Oh, that, that narrows it down. Uh, eventually he just drops in Australia I mean big prediction the man has the man has uh, he, he he knows how to he has dramatic timing is basically what you're talking about uh, on. Mm-hmm. and Dennis Hickey has that in spades uh, let's keep the build up going delighted to be joined in studio now by a legend of world rugby Dougie Howlett Dougie you're very welcome thanks very much for coming into us thanks for having me great to be here listen 49 tries for the All Blacks you're an Irish citizen now so I suppose the big question is who are you supporting yeah, well, we'll see how far we get. Um, if it's a if it's a quarter final, Ireland versus the All Blacks, it'll be it'll be a difficult one early on in the tournament. Yeah, um, you know, I, I could say I can't lose, but um, you know, I'd, I'd have to to go with uh, the All Blacks. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. You've you, you played enough times with them. The sort of pressure that we hear about every time that New Zealand are under in these World Cups is it any less this year? Do you think, given that they got the monkey off the backs in two thousand and eleven? No, I guess the the expectation is always high going into a, a World Cup, and um, you know, although they didn't win the, uh, the the Quad Nations this year, they played some uh, some impressive rugby. Yeah. Um, so you know, probably rightly so, the the leading team in the world at the moment. Um, with that comes a lot of expectation. I suppose the leaders that are with this New Zealand team, Richie McCaw, Dan Carter, the same guys who've been there for a while, is there any fear that this could be one tournament too far for a guy like McCaw? Maybe a stupid question when you're talking about a player of that standard. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Uh, you know, I'd put Kevin Mialami, Tony Woodcock, Conrad Smith, Ma Nonu. You, there's a whole group there that uh, would want nothing more than to finish their career as an all-black on a high. So... Uh, you know, I think the want and desire is, is definitely there within this group. They uh, Obviously, France have been a sticky team in World Cups over the last couple of years. and There is a chance of playing, depending on how the Ireland-France pool works out and assuming New Zealand do their job. Knowing the New Zealand mindset, do you think that they would actually like to play France in the quarterfinals? Would there be a fear that, oh, well, we've lost them a couple of times in the past? Or do you think the past tournaments make any difference to how this New Zealand team think? No, I, I wouldn't have any fear of playing um, France in, in a quarterfinal. Uh, personally, I'd, I'd, I'd fear the, the Irish more so. Would you, yeah. Um, at, the, at this time and point, 
uh, without the tournament starting, um, you know, France have, have, have coughed and sputtered along a little. Uh, they're a little unpredictable, but, uh, you know, this Irish team, uh, knowing the individuals, the coaching staff, uh, they're a good outfit. We've got our usual pre-tournament nerves now that a couple of the warm-up games haven't gone too well for Ireland, but you're discounting that by the sound of things. It's more about the t- performance they put in in the big games. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some, some real quality in the group. And, and I wouldn't look too much into the uh, you know the, the pre-tournament um, m- matches. Um, but know. we've never we've actually never beaten you guys, and that's the, that's the scary thing. Like whatever about you know if we could if if France is our fifty-fifty or whatever, and Argentina will try and handle them and all the rest. But the, the, just the sheer fact of it that we've been playing this sport for however long it's been, 130, 140 years, and we've never beaten you guys. I think a World Cup quarterfinal is that's a pretty big ask for us to beat you for the first time in that sort of a game. Uh, well, uh, the stage is set, I guess, <laughs> and, and having played with Munster and, and been in Ireland for a long time, uh, the one thing I do know is that um, you know uh, the Irish rugby players uh, love being underdogs, and they can um, they can turn some heads. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know. I, I, uh, we'll see how we get on. You mentioned the coaching team that Ireland haven't placed at the moment. Is the work that Joe Schmidt's doing getting noticed uh, in, in the Southern Hemisphere, do you think? Are people aware of what he's all about now? Yes, and not only in the Southern Hemisphere, I think uh, globally he's, he's recognised as, as, as a leading coach. And you only have to talk to, to any of the players that he's worked with, um, you know, young and old, and he's having a, a positive influence on, on all of their play. The pool, big pool game will be Ireland France. Uh, it sounds like you're you think you're fa- you're tipping Ireland for that one. Yeah, well, before the tournament starts, uh, you know, I, I would, um, you know, France again are a little unpredictable. They're a bit patchy going into the tournament. Uh, however, you know, Ireland know France. You know, they, they play them year in year out. They play them in the, in the Heineken Cup, and and they know the players. So. I don't think there's anything to fear for uh, an on-form Ireland team. We're getting, I think we're getting a little bit nervy because of previous World Cups and because of the, the warm-up games. We are Six Nations champions two times in a row. Uh, you mentioned the underdogs thing. That, that, that is true, it's, and you've obviously seen it, particularly with Munster as well. Irish teams love the idea that we're un- underdogs, but going in against France, should we maybe embrace the, facts that w- the fact that we've beaten them in recent years and that, that we're the Six Nations champions and not them? Yeah, and I think that's a mindset change that has developed uh, over the last couple of years, in particular since Joe has taken over uh, this team. You know, they are able to to, to lead from the front and uh, and and wear the pressures of, of being the favourite. All right, you're here promoting the AIG Hackett 360 app. This is a new app that's been brought out, Doug. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Myself and Murph from having a go with this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, certainly. And I guess as a as an All Black. Uh, the last time I performed the Hakka was against the All Blacks, as a matter of fact, for yeah. Munster. Oh, yeah. um, however, yeah. I'm you know, I'm often asked, you know, what's it like to, to perform a Hakka? And, uh, you know, through this technology and the AIG Hakka 360 uh, headset, you're able to be right there uh, amongst the team, either facing or uh, uh, being part right of the Hakka. Yeah. Murph, we've had a look at it there. Yeah, and I've decided the Willie Anderson route, that is actually the way I would go down as well. Why not just walk straight up there and face it? So, uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't think I would ever get the chance. You know, at 33 years of age, I thought my chance had gone, but there we go, I have actually what, faced it. What are you expecting from opponents Because when, uh, when you perform the hack? Uh, are you looking for any sign of weakness? Uh, no, we're not. And and I guess the hacker is is, uh, is personal to, to the athletes and the individuals. Um, you know, for me, I, I'd be honouring you know the All Blacks that have been before me, uh, you know the, the opposition, 
Um, so I guess it's almost irrelevant what the, what the opposition. It's, it's just all about your own your own culture, I guess. It and is, your, and, what and you, it's, do. you know, this is uh, over a hundred years of history, mm. you know, and, and going right back to uh, to Dave Gallagher, who was a, who was an Irishman, uh, and he performed and captained the the, uh, the All Blacks. Has the reaction of a, uh, an opponent ever motivated you? Have you ever thought, I don't like what they're doing there? Uh, again, you know, it's it's probably more so for for the crowd and, and everybody else. The, um, as, as I said, for me, it, it's something I do to, to honour uh, the history and, and those gone before me. Sure. Doug, just lastly, uh, prediction for the tournament winner? Yeah, I, 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 it's hard to look past the All Blacks, but uh, in saying that, uh, it, it's not going to be as, as clear-cut as everybody thinks. Um, they're going to be in for some some super tough games, especially in those knockout stages. And, and, and the one thing I, I will say is it's... Uh, once you're in those knockout stages, you know if you're playing the All Blacks, you're playing your final, and whether that's in a quarter final, a semi final, or a final. So uh, it's going to be challenging, um, but uh, you know it's going to take a good team to win this tournament. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Listen, great to catch up, catch up with you, Doug. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Started by five points, 22 to 17. It's available here now. Ireland inching their way towards the 22. Mike McCarthy would ever hold on to it as he tried to pass it. McCarthy for Ireland. It's back with Luke Fitzgerald. To mind the fancy stuff. We have 30 seconds remaining. Back there, the referee's whistle has gone. It's a penalty for New Zealand. Oh, I don't believe it. It's about possession. Spin of the dice for both teams as New Zealand have it now. Back with Aaron Smith towards Cruden to Kieran Reid. Kieran Reid tries to get around Kevin McLaughlin. He's brought play inside the Ireland half of the pitch. Across on that far side is with Ben Smith. Time is up here. New Zealand desperately trying to get their hands at the ball. Back at Manano. Manano now gets it free towards Ryan Cruddy inside the 22 metre line. New Zealand sweeping in to Cruden. Cruden in the midfield possession to Frank Seas. Stopped there as tracks by Jamie Heaston. He doesn't release. Back with Aaron Smith. New Zealand have numbers now. Across from the far side of the pitch as they go away with this one and cut through the cover. There's massive defence by Ireland. They're trying to gather this one back. Four yards short to the line. It's come back to Van Anu. Mano comes with it. Darcy tackles him to ground. The man from the Lansdowne Club with uh, New Zealand now to have it. Swept it back to Cruden. Moves it out on the near side towards Dane Coles. Get through the cover. New Zealand through Ryan Crotty. Get in for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Crotty scores! Oh, my goodness! They've managed it. 
It's 22 each. Well, I suppose just before we leave the rugby and the build-up to the tournament, it's only right to ask the uh, the only man in this room who was involved in the Irish Times Rugby World Cup preview supplement to <laughs> give us his uh, pundit's prediction. Again, well, I am the Earl of Supplements, as he's. I'm going to give you the same two questions as I gave the boys earlier on. Mm-hmm. How far will Ireland go? Quarterfinals. Uh, to, to we're going to lose to France. In New Zealand. Group. So we're going to lose to France and then. And then to New Zealand. Okay. You don't back us to beat France and then beat Argentina? And (laughs) secondly, this is actually actually very similar to the supplement. Short on words, but big on punch. I like it. It's probably better on air than it is in print where you're just left with like a big, you know, empty box where everyone's answer should be. (laughs) Who's going to win the tournament? Uh, I think New Zealand. It's pretty ballsy. Big call. They're the best team. (laughs) So it's, uh, it seems logical that they should win. Sorry, I just have one other question. Uh, what was the name again of your uh, your uh, player to watch? Wysaki. Yes. That was his name. It was one part of his name. Yeah, that's his first name, uh, Ken. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast <laughs> is out now. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Well, uh, we talked, what did we talk about, On There was huge games in the Premier League over the weekend. It was a crushing defeat for Chelsea at Goodison Park, uh, Roberto Martinez's iron will proving too much for Jose Mourinho. The dishevelled Jose Mourinho. The increasingly uh, dishevelled and wild-eyed Jose Mourinho. And then Ivan Hal continued to beat uh, Brendan Rodgers like a gong. It's the third <laughs> third uh, win on the spin for Ivan Hal against Brendan Rodgers. Uh, so we talked about those. And also uh, we talked a bit about Barack Obama. All right, let's have a look at the Ireland Camogie final yesterday. One of the most staggering records of success in Irish sport is held by a couple of the players on the both the Corkamogi team and the football team, Breach Corker being one of them, who's now won her 15th All-Ireland medal, medal. She was the scorer of the only goal in the seven-point win over Galway at Croke Park yesterday and joins us now. Breach, first of all, congratulations on another All-Ireland title. I've got to say, just looking at the celebrations and even some of the pictures in the newspapers today, you looked like a team that had won your first All-Ireland. Um, yeah, I suppose we were just delighted with the win yesterday. Um, there was t- 13 of Leicester's panel left at the start at the start of the year, um, you know, and it was kind of hard to build up build up the team again and stuff. But um, everyone put the shoulder to the wheel, and um, you know, when work rate was needed, we it was put in, and it was just fantastic doing it. Yeah, I'm looking at a photo on the front page here of the Irish Times sports section. I think it's Hannah Looney upside down, almost doing a handstand in front of the in the in the middle of the group. There it looked like a bit of uh, a nice bit of a, a sort of release there after the stresses of the game. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did she do that on purpose or by mistake? But it looked well anyway. <laughs> it, it does seem as so, you know you've you've won so many of these uh, and. It, it it's it looks relentless from the outside, I guess. You know, like any great sports person, any great sports team. Uh, where is it? How do you find your motivation each year to come back and win these? Um, I suppose you know myself and Reid have been on the road. Reid Buckley has been on the road a long time. 
Um, and I, I think we just love playing football in Camogie. Um, it's our it's our life. Like at the end of the day, you know, it's it's where all our friends are, and um, we keep our family, our our parents so happy to go into match and stuff. And I suppose we just enjoy doing it. There's so much crack with it. Um, you know, you win together and you lose together and you, you still have the night out together and, you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, I think a team sport is like a family really. Yeah, so. and you you really you really got that sense even in the post-match interviews and I know Gemma O'Connor mentioned her mum who's ill. Uh, there there seemed to be quite a, quite a lot of emotion in some of those post-match interviews. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I suppose it was so uh, tough on Jimmy yesterday and um, like last year as well, you know, there was... Uh, Jimmy O'Leary, mum had passed away during the year and her sister, and you know, it was just very tough, you know, and, and these are the moments that kind of lift you, like, and I suppose we all go through bad times in life, and it's sport is kind of a release for you to, you know, get out and leave it all on the pitch, and, you know, it's great to get away from emotion sometimes, and, you know, uh, winning yesterday, you know, it's just fantastic to, you know, bring back all that. Uh, well, how soon does the does the uh, attention turn to, to Sunday week in the football final? Um, sure, I suppose, you know, uh, we're we're back down to, I suppose we'll be going back down to Cork now tonight and we'll just, it'll be back to training Wednesday night and um, I suppose we'll just drive on from there and um, hopefully, you know, that we can perform against Dublin and it'll be tough, like, but um, we're just going to have to try and perform and do the best we can. Back to any wins in it. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm. I'm sure I know the answer you're going. You're going to give me. But does the 16th All Ireland, the, the chance for you and Rena Buckley to become the the two most decorated players in Gaelic games history, is this is is this something that's going to weigh on your mind a little bit, even a, even a tiny bit in the whatever it is, 11 days from Wednesday night to to Sunday evening week. Um. I, I, well, personally, for myself and me, I. I've never thought about how many I, I've had or how many I will have, or, you know, that kind of way. Um, and I think Green is the same. I think we'll just go out and try and uh, play to the best of our ability more. And, you know, I think we're just fierce lucky we came up with a bunch of girls that are in the same mindset as us and all they want to do is win as well. And, you know, it just makes makes the job for us easier as well, you know. Um, but no, I won't be thinking about the 16 points again. Um, we have a huge task ahead of us. And... We don't want to be looking ahead of ourselves at all. That's definitely the right answer from a sports psychology point of view anyway, Breege. I'm sure I'm sure that's the way to be thinking. Can I just ask you, lastly, just about the goal you score because it was an obvious uh, turning point of the game. It looked like, um, I don't know, do you sense these moments because you dispossessed a defender, you kind of streaked away and and uh, finished it. Do you, do you sense sometimes there's a moment to grab the game by the, scru- by the scruff of the neck like that? Um, oh, jeez, that goal, I just guess. I didn't do another stroke for the whole day, but then it... Uh, no, I suppose, look, I, it just fell into my pack, like, you know, um, we'd been practising at training, bearing down a goal, um, and we just have to try and get around Lisa Murray, uh, the hardest goalkeeper to get around in the country, so, um, you know, when when we had the chance, um, I just tried to, I just tried to tried to get it and it only barely went in but it went in so we're, we're happy with that Yeah, as it should be Bridge. Listen, another amazing achievement I know maybe you can't let it all sink in fully until the football's done and dusted but uh, staggering again by Cork so congratulations and best of luck in the football Lovely job Thanks very much Thanks William uh, I like the steeliness there Murph the, uh, and in fairness I, I believe Breach 100% when she says that she doesn't I'm sure maybe the idea of winning is... I don't think you can keep winning all these things if you're constantly concerned about your record compared to other historical records. Can I tell you what I would do if I were Breach Corkery? Mm -hmm. I'd be Mark Spitzing it like you wouldn't believe down the main street of Cork with my 15 Mm -hmm. All-Ireland medals wearing them around my neck. 
Uh, but that's you know maybe maybe there's maybe there's a lesson there for me and for Breach. You know that that sort of thing probably it it doesn't really help you to win the 16th if you're walking up and down Cork's Main Street where you're no. I think the hunger previous. might have the hunger that they all talk about in GA might have deserved yeah. it slightly at that stage Roger Federer another man chasing records and trying to extend records but failing again at the final hurdle against Novak Djokovic mm. this is becoming one of the more predictable stories in sport isn't it yeah but this one was well looking back on yeah. it retrospectively I mean, it was predictable but Federer was a set all he was brilliant in the third set. As the commentators said, the last three games of the, the third of the third set, Roger Federer played much the better tennis and lost all three games. And therefore, the set it's just Federer's uh, sorry Djokovic's ridiculous ability to stay in rallies. There was one rally which Federer was dominating. I've never seen a player as good at Djokovic as turning the momentum of a rally in one shot. You know, the other guys on top, usually at that level, when one guy is on top, they stay on top, and unless they make a mistake, they should actually win out the point. But Federer can be dictating the rally, and suddenly one shot from Djokovic, and it's changed around completely. At one point, he just kept getting the ball back in one rally, and Federer eventually just hit this weak backhand into the net, as if to say, oh, Djokovic. The best thing for me to do now here. is to regroup for the next point, because I'm knackered, and I've hit four winners He's already. He's nearly at the that. I'm not going to win these really long rallies against you. I'm not going to win a high enough percentage of them, so I'll hopefully just have to ace you and hit winners clean off your serves, and then have a chance. So what, I don't think Federer could have played, he, he faltered a bit in the last set, and even then, he was two breaks down, got one of those breaks back, Almost got the second one back, and Djokovic predictably held firm. You could see Federer's camp, you see his wife, and uh, Edberg is fairly stony faced, to be honest. But a lot of people in his camp were just dropping the head <laughs> and knew he'd been beaten, which is a really weird way to be when you think they're the supporters, uh, the loved ones of mm. maybe the greatest player of all time. But uh, yeah, Djokovic does it again, Murph. A uh, quick reminder of our auction, our charity auction. This is for uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers Refugee Appeal. We're giving away a signed Rugby World Cup jersey, two return flights to London with Aer Lingus, five VIP tickets at next Irish Time Sugar Club show in October. And we're giving away a hoodie, mug, second captain's Euro 88 jersey. So loads of great stuff in there. If you want to bid, a thousand euro has to be the minimum. And if you want to meet that or ideally go above it for an amazing cause, tweet us at second captains or email us editor at secondcaptains.com. Uh, yeah, that's about it. You were going to say something? No, no, no. Oh, no, you just uh, said no. You were, I, I, maybe I just, I don't know, there was an exhalation there. Well, I'm just saying, it. listen, you're at not to know if you're only bidding a thousand euro at that. That's all I'm saying, because we'll get a thousand euro, no, no problem. So, you know, just just keep that in mind. That's all I'm saying. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, so. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, uh, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank it you, It was uh, Wasaki Naholo. Just by the way, Ken, you're a player to watch. Well, lots more rugby, rugby World Cup. Okay. Lots more rugby chat going up uh, <laughs> later on in the week, I'm sure. Uh, we'll be back to you just before Ireland's opening game against Canada. Thanks for listening. Have a listen to the football podcast if you do get a chance. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash second captains, and we'll talk to you later on in the week. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.